My name is Susie Can, and I hope you enjoy exploring with me the thoughts that come with this thread. If you have any interest in supporting what I'm doing or getting in touch, please do so through the website kylak.ie, where you will also find other resources and connections that I create around each podcast so that if some of the tweaks of interest come to you through them, you have a place to go to go a little further and deeper or to find other information or to find a way to support by maybe wanting to collaborate or offer something or even a donation. Thanks for listening. did the last episode about my identity just before the time when we made another move. My years in South County Dublin had given me more awareness and more of a voice to express my views about oppressions, about privilege, and a nascent understanding of those concepts, and also of the social class that my parents had now really fully moved into. I remember my mother expressing comments that gave me not only a sense of what religion people were and what preference she had for who I would be hanging out with, but also in terms of social class. And funny, a language that my mother used was of common people. And I think that she meant that in a not good way. But I think that there was the findings for me of the fact that I like to hang out with the common people. And so I was being given a lot of privilege and a, and a kind of a track that would prepare me to enter a middle-class world myself. There was, at the same time, the oppressions that existed. And I want to talk a bit about those oppressions as I grew into my older adolescence, sort of turning ages 15, 16, 17, 18. So that period of my life begins with another move. My parents, although they enjoyed aspects of living in South County Dublin. They also found it a pressure, I think, and a stress in terms of the economics of making mortgage payments on the house they had bought in the estate. And also, I think there was something, despite my mother making comments about the common people, she actually found the social pressures of the environment that was kind of growing middle class um, and upwardly mobile folk who were having social drinks and social gatherings of meals. And something about that became old for my mother. She felt it was, despite her talking about the common people in a negative way, something about that middle class milieu of the upwardly mobile or maybe the one-upmanship or the insularness of it, something about that rankled. 
and she sought a change, and I think it suited for economic reasons for them to try to capitalise on the value of the house that they were living in in South Dublin and move further south to County Wicklow and try to put themselves in a better, less pressured economic situation. I think although my father had outlets for himself in sailing in South Dublin, he also had this little garden in an estate house and he wanted more. He had visions, I think, of some of the things his sisters had with their small holdings and he wanted a bigger acreage of garden. He had fantasies of keeping poultry and geese and things, but um, some of that didn't ever transpire. So my parents looked and found a property in Wicklow that was beyond where my mother had originally intended going. I think she wanted to move out to the nice areas of Greystones and Delgany, but the property prices there were prohibitive. So they went further south into South Wicklow. And by doing that, they found a property with a large garden and but also, at the time, that was down not such great roads that exist now with development. There are bigger highway roads that come to South Wicklow, but at that time there were narrower and narrower roads. And as I was now accustomed to living in South County Dublin and hanging out in Dunleary and on the pier and in the shopping malls and so on, I was not at all keen on going to live in what we came to refer to as Bally Back of Beyond. Both my sisters by this stage had become really into horses. My older sister had had the opportunity of getting a horse from an aunt and keeping it uh, just outside of South Dublin. And she used to go there on a bike and later on a Honda 50 to manage her horse. And so this other piece seemed to suit this idea of going to the countryside really suited my two sisters so it was only me who was rebelling and saying I wouldn't go I was at that time very happy with the freedom that I had in South Dublin the fact that I could walk everywhere and go to my friends and hang out in Dunleary on the pier and in shopping malls something that People who would know me today would find very surprising because I have become immersed in rural life and in our permaculture small holding and connection to nature. But at that time, I was much more into, as young adolescents are, my friends and my hanging out. And yeah, it was something I really resisted. I resisted it so much that. When my parents moved to the new property, they had a two-week overlap before they released the keys of our previous property in, in the estate. And I determined to stay there alone for those two weeks, kind of camping out with the remaining bits of the cooker, I think, was still there. But I had a, a camp bed and, and stayed there for two weeks and thoroughly enjoyed that freedom and went reluctantly then to our new house in the countryside. I did learn to thoroughly enjoy and come to love 
the countryside quite quickly, I think. I walked and explored the lanes and the fields and the hills around us. And I didn't lose out on connection to friends because I still went to the same school. I did have to start a new commuting routine of taking a train from Wicklow Town up to Glenageary Station. And that was at a time when it really was so far away. Wicklow Town was considered so far away from South Dublin. And there were no commuters. I think the only people on the train after Greystones was my maths and science teacher who got off in Kilcool and my sisters and I and one other girl, I think, who was commuting, got off in Wicklow. We used to run the length of the train. And the train journey itself became, although we disliked the very early morning start of that train, we used to have a lot of fun with the people who did commute to Greystones and myself and my sisters used to play all sorts of pranks and daft games and do silly things in front of them. We used to eat imaginary sandwiches and carry on in just strange adolescent daft ways. I think the thing that was funny for me was the formality of the business commuters and the kinds of attitudes they had on their train journey, which was very serious, and the juxtaposition of that of these three young teenagers and being able to get up to mischief, we found kind of hilarious. We continued to have a lot of privileges that were part of that middle-class South County Dublin life. I had in school a lot of exposure to international influences. Uh, There were African friends in school in Lebanese. Uh, Our African friends came from Nigeria and Ghana. And we were taking holidays still in Europe. We had a camper van and we travelled to southern France for several years of holidays. And subsequently, I got to go on exchanges to France from school. So one for two weeks in the Geneva area, we went all together as a school group, but stayed in host families. And then when I was 17, I got to do a full three-month exchange in France. So I went and lived with a French family, and the daughter of that French family came and lived with us for the same length of time. That was giving me a different perspective on Ireland. And when I lived in France for those three months and went to a mixed lycée, a school, state school in France that had a very different attitude to the freedoms for young people, And also a different respect for the autonomy and responsibility of young people. The school had a second technical college attached to it, which was full with immigrant Algerians. And there was interaction between all of the different older adolescents in the school that seemed to me much more adult 
than how I experienced that age group back at home in Ireland. There was no uniform. People expressed themselves differently. People smoked. I took up smoking at age 17 in France. And I remember one young couple who were living together, who were repeating their final year in high school, called the baccalaureate. And they were living together in a flat near the school. And we had a lot of parties in their flat after school or on a weekend. And this was so different, this sort of autonomy and respect for that independence didn't exist at home where we would have been much more overlooked about where we were and who we were with and what parties we were allowed to go to and what time we would be allowed to come home at. And so I really enjoyed those freedoms in France for three months and enjoyed the dialogue with our teachers once I got to speak a bit better French. Um, that seemed much more on equal footing as young adults than I was experiencing a more either a command and control sort of model of our principal in our school and our discipline and the ways in which that was brought about in a school in Ireland versus something that seemed more collaborative and more fun as well. There was, I remember being in the school for Poisson d'Avril, which is the first of April or April Fool's Day. And the, there was just chaos in the school. We came to the school in fancy dress and we played tricks on everybody all day. My fancy dress was to come to school in my Irish school uniform that for some reason I had to bring with me. I got hold of a pair of fancy silk bloomers and put them on under my Irish school kilt and told and convinced everyone that not only did I have to wear what they saw as this ridiculous school uniform to school, but I also had to wear these long knee-length bloomers. I remember people just acting crazy all day. There was a girl walking around with a toothbrush on a lead and treating it like her dog. There was shaving foam and water pistols and general mayhem. But there was also a sense from the adults that letting young people loose in this way wasn't a complete disaster, wasn't something that couldn't be contemplated. Whereas back in Ireland, I think we were kept on a much tighter leash in every aspect. And when I came home to Ireland after this, I felt for a period of time really distant from my friends. And it was really strange because in essence, that responsibility that I had been able to experience as a freedom in France for three months had led to me maturing and maturing in a sense of I take responsibility for myself in the world and I should be let make choices in the world that I want to make. And I came back and I actually looked down on my friends for a while and saw their, their more childlike, more their games as being more innocent in a way and more silly. And I 
couldn't relate to them for a while. And I remember thinking, I'm going to end up isolated. I'm going to end up apart again. I'm not going to pass as one of them. And so I kind of just made myself join in what seemed childish at the time and what seemed particularly in relation to boys, because this was this all-girls school and the young people there were quite obsessed with boys, but in a very giddy, silly way that actually I hadn't experienced from being in this mixed school and also just being free to explore. I think I met my first gay couple in France and it just changed the way I was looking at Ireland as well because we had not only this strictness of from our parents and this strictness from the school and these taboos about certainly the idea of two young people at 18 living together, clearly having premarital sex uh, was just uh, not not to be contemplated in Ireland. This was still where women's bodies in particular and freedoms of how you dressed and what you did with your body, there was just no discussion of that. There was no, it was all a kind of cultural oppression. And something that made that stand out when I turned 18 and was in sixth year, my final year in school, something that really made a huge impression on me and I would imagine my whole generation was something that happened to a girl our age, a tragedy that happened in a little town in the Midlands of Ireland and this young woman died in childbirth in a grotto, a Mary statue grotto outside of her town. And what we understood from the media, now I've since learned a great deal, as has many people, in a more revisionist way looking back. But at the time, the media to us were showing us that this girl died in childbirth because she couldn't tell anyone that she was pregnant and she allegedly hid her pregnancy. And this was portrayed as a, a defining moment in the media of how have we let this come to pass that a young girl could become pregnant and could also not have any supports and could die and she and her baby died of exposure. And at that time, in terms of rights for abortion or contraception, didn't exist in Southern Ireland in the 1980s. There was a secretive nature to information being shared amongst adolescents about where did you get contraception, how did you access that. There was the Well Woman Clinic in Dublin where you could go to get condoms or, as I remember, a common practice was to tell your doctor that you had irregular periods and they would put you on the pill to make them regular. And I'm sure that doctors knew what was being asked by 17, 18-year-olds, but they didn't confront it. They didn't talk to you about it. You didn't really have anyone to go to to talk to. So it was past what information you did have 
was passed from adolescent to adolescent. And similarly, there was no divorce in Ireland. And so there was just this environment where the Catholic Church had had such an influence in the state, but also all the taboos of premarital sex, as it was called, all of the taboos of your own body and having any awareness about your own body. And sexuality was not discussed. There was no concept that there were gay people in the world around you. They weren't talked about. It was many years later that we discovered that the principal of our school was a gay woman. There were rumours, but it was all hush-hush. Everything was at a distance and generally frowned upon, generally oppressed and looked down upon. So it's within that context that I was growing into my older adolescent years. I still spent time being sent back to Northern Ireland to work on the biodynamic farm, I think probably to keep me under out of trouble as a kind of control. I also spent time working in Northern Ireland for the summers where I actually did have a lot of freedom when I stayed with my grandmothers and hung out with my aunts and uncles and cousins. The reason I had a lot of freedom was not because it was given me, it was because I would sneak out of my grandmother's houses or I would sneak in very late. I spent summers doing jobs that I was able to get through my father, who still had a connection to a business in Belfast, and they had a building that was being fixed up, and I spent one summer on my own getting a lift with a friend of my father's to Belfast, but then on my own painting this entire office building stairwell and some of the offices. And it was a very physical job and I would be left there by myself all day. And I would go out at lunchtime in a builder's overalls covered in paint and hang out in Belfast and get myself something called a sausage soda, which is fried soda bed and sausages inside of it. And I would get comments and whistles and interaction with all of the Belfast people seeing this girl in her building gear. And that was part of that same kind of gendered world that I lived in. I remember one of the men that I was buying milk off for my lunch, making fun of me and saying, what are you love, a plumber? You know, and because I was covered in paint or then telling me a story I there was a girl on a, on a building site once, all right, that I knew of. And you know what? You should have heard her scream one day. Everybody came running. They thought she was killed. But you know what she'd done, love? Do you know what she'd done? She'd broken a fingernail. So this is kind of the messages that you're getting around you at this time in my life. And what it is to be any gender, what it is to be a tomboy, still in my 17 and 18 years, but also what the sexual politics were, what the options were, what was not being talked about, what I was really completely oblivious to in so many ways because there was no place to go to talk about your developing sexuality, 
your relations with any other sex, let alone a different sex. It was just all oppressive. And so I, I think that one of the things that I have been reflecting on is this juxtaposition of having a huge amount of privilege that was increasingly there from our lifestyle in South Dublin and Wicklow and from my parents taking us on holidays and having all these different exposure to ideas from elsewhere in the world. But yet back home in Ireland, there was also this continual feeling as a young woman of being oppressed, of not having the freedom to even talk about things relating to myself and my own development. And so I think that in that context, I was out experimenting. I was going out with different people. I was going out actually in Northern Ireland with people quite a bit older than me. And I was really, really unclear and unsure of myself. And I, I categorized those years as being insecure years in many ways of just not finding where I fit, but kind of going through what I was directed into and just having more wild fun, I suppose, more exploratory fun, but that it wasn't really from a secure place. And that will bridge, I think, to my next episode where I start to talk about what happened when I move out of home.